Have you noticed that food is better together? We uh, serve and live in a culture that competes with mealtime. So I don't know how your home is, but in our family, the older our children got, the harder it was to find a time during the week, much less each day, to sit down at table together. But I want to challenge you at the start today, let this meal that we share and the gladness we feel be an encouragement to you to make a meal a day, if possible more, if you have to work into it however, but make it a priority in your home. Because one really good thing that happens when a family eats together is we get to bring all the highs and lows of our lives together in prayer into the presence of the God who made us, the only God who can make a difference. So prayer must never be perfunctory. No amen, dig in, kind of let's get this over with, let's get this done kind of prayer. But, but prayer is life for a family. And as we'll see today, for a church family. In our family, one custom, it's not enough, but we try every birthday in our family to get everybody together. So Abigail had a birthday this week. And we gathered in a restaurant, all of us except Chase. But it's almost like he, he instinctively knew something was going on because he called. He said, what are y'all doing? Oh, we're eating. It's Abigail's birthday. We're having her birthday dinner. He began to surmise that we were splurging. And he started listing the names of possible restaurants that we might be at. He, thankfully, he didn't guess. And finally, I said, we're actually at McDonald's. And in the end, I'm going to get a fried pie in your honor. He didn't believe me. I think he hung up somewhere in there. But it was good to be together. We all come from this long line of eaters. And so National Geographic tells about the oldest loaf of bread ever found. They found a loaf of bread intact. They say it's 300,000 years old. I don't know how they know that. What's interesting, though, is that the bread that they found still in the hearth was scored it was cut so that it might be shared. So going way back in history, going way back in the history of the church, we learned that God's people broke bread, gave thanks, and ate together. Can I show you this in God's Word? Would you stand with me as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47? Because of a single word that I believe the translators help us with, we're reading ESV today. If I like it next week, I'll read it again. We'll see. But Acts 2, verse 42, we've built our church on this for the last 18 years. You probably recognize these verses. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being Saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. How do you get 
a glad and generous heart by worshiping together, by eating together. Maybe you come from the same ecclesiastical tradition as I, but in the churches I grew up in, at least quarterly, we would have fellowship. Fellowship always meant food. Sometimes we called it dinner on the grounds. Once a quarter was not enough, just as we had the Lord's Supper. Once a quarter, it didn't feel like enough. So I was glad when I went to my first church as a teenage pastor and found out once a month they had dinner on the grounds. And one great characteristic of that country church was they could seriously cook. Uh, It was unbelievable. The feast was just, it was a great picture of the feast images in heaven to me. And I loved eating with them. And then three years and nine months later, Melanie and I moved to our second church. And there they ate every Sunday. See, it was getting better. And we ate together every Sunday night and played ping pong until we were exhausted. And it was just fabulous and great and good. You see, this is in our DNA. The DNA of Christians going back 2,000 years. It says they didn't just meet quarterly or monthly or weekly, but daily. They worshiped together. They ate bread together, breaking bread from house to house. And something about taking bread and giving thanks and breaking it like Jesus did in the Last Supper, like He did when they got to Emmaus and they finally recognized Him. And this becomes such a powerful tradition in the church that what we see is in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul is going to teach the people, but they're there on the first day of the week because that's the day they broke bread together. That's the way they described their meeting. In fact, it's so serious that in chapter 27 of this book of Acts, they're about to have a shipwreck, and Paul's told them the ship is going to wreck, and he's told them they're all going to survive if they stay together. And then he says, kind of in his channeling his best Yoda, but first let's eat. It's like, we got to eat before we have a shipwreck, because you can't have a shipwreck on an empty stomach. And so he holds up bread, Acts 27, verse 35, and he gives thanks, and then he breaks it. You see how the church continues the work of the Christ. We channel Jesus. Jesus gave thanks and broke bread and said, this is my body. And, and when they ate together, Two of the characteristics of that early church that made them so winsome that it says they had favor with all the people. The people in the city loved them and God kept adding people to the church and it was because they were glad and generous in their hearts. And this happened when they ate together. So who says grace in your family? Because somehow in saying grace and giving thanks before we eat... We are expressing the gladness that we have in Christ for His amazing provision for us. Those of you who go up to the third floor Sunday school up this staircase know right before you open the door, there's a verse on the, on the wall there. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a characteristic of God's people. We're not the people who should come across to the culture as the grumbling people, the grumpy, grouchy people. No, we're the glad people. And why are we glad? Because He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for He has made me glad. 
And the gladness is this anointing that God pours over His people that distinguishes us from the grumpy world. We're the people who have been given grace. For you know, 2 Corinthians 8-9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was opulently rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you through His poverty might become rich in all the ways that matter. Shouldn't we be glad? In view of what He has done, shouldn't we be glad? I read this week about an expedition in 1902, the first expedition up to the Antarctic led by Captain Scott. And Captain Scott said on the the shortest day of the year, longest night of the year at the Antarctic, imagine how depressing and gloomy that would be. They had brought provisions to have a Thanksgiving on that day. And this was his statement. With such a dinner, we agreed that life in the Antarctic regions was worth living. Unless I miss my guess, some of you have been in the Antarctic recently. I don't mean literally but with what's been going on in your life and in our world. And, and you're like, it, whoa. And perhaps eating this bread and remembering what Christ did for us will remind us that life here and now is worth living. It's a gift, as Liz Higgs said. So gladness is not an emotion. Gladness is a choice that I make. It's a decision of my will. It's in that little song, Glad. I keep coming back to this. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Why? Because every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full. Don't worry. He got the check. He paid for this meal with His lifeblood so that we could eat together and be glad. And not only glad, but it says, and generous. Maybe your translation, NIV, it says, singleness of heart. Some translations say simplicity. Some say sincerity. When I was translating it early this week, I was expecting to find the Greek word unhypocritical. So grace makes us unhypocritical. That's really true. But that's not the word. It literally means an act of benevolence. It's receiving the goodness of God so deeply that we want to give goodness to others. And I was reading this week uh, in a a little book um, called A Meal with Jesus. And the writer of the book says, have you ever thought about the fact if God just wanted food to be fuel, He could have made it amazingly boring, like gruel every day, porridge, whatever that is. But instead, have you ever thought about this? Tim Hester says, food is a central experience of God's goodness. The world is actually more delicious than it needs to be. We have this superabundance of divine goodness and generosity. God went over the top. We don't need the variety we enjoy to live, but He gave it out of His sheer exuberant joy and grace. When we realize as we eat here and in our homes how generous God has been with us, it doesn't make us want to keep it to ourselves, but share it. With others. That's why it's better to eat together. And when we went this summer on our mission trip with some of our missionaries in some of the darkest, hardest places in the world to minister, we loved taking care of their children. We loved preaching. I got to preach four times. We loved praying because they taught me so much about prayer. But I forgot to mention how beautiful it was that breakfast, lunch, and dinner we ate together. And here are these beautiful children running around with freedom that they don't have in the countries where they live. And we're all eating. 
and the, the sound, it kind of reminds me of that movie, that book, Babette's Feast, because there was so much gladness in the room. And you can imagine where people are glad that they're not stingy. So it was, how can I serve you? I'm getting up. Can I get you something? What do you need? Can I serve you? How can we serve each other? This is the way the body of Christ was always intended to be. And so what we learn is the early church began to share their lives together. So it's there in chapter 2, verse 45. They give to each other as they have need. It's there in the next little summary in chapter 4, verse 32. Nobody said that what they had was their own. In verses 36 and 37, we learn that, that the widows have need. And so Barnabas, this son of encouragement, sells his land and gives it to the people. When they come to Peter crying about Tabitha, they say in chapter 9, she made all these things for us. And that's why we miss her so much. She was a giver to us. And so we received these gifts from her, and that's why we miss her so much. In chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, when Agabus the prophet says there's going to be a famine in the land, it's going to be a really hard time, and the disciples, each according to their ability, decide we're going to give. And if we wonder why we're not more glad and generous in our hearts, maybe this is it. Maybe we think God is just the great giver. Oh, don't get me wrong. He is a great giver. But He is also the greatest gift. And when we understand that God is not only a great giver, but the greatest gift, then it's easy not only for us to receive, but also to share with others because of His abundance we have received. And so we want to share with others. I have a good friend in our church named Dale. His name is actually in a menu of a restaurant not far from here. They named one of the entrees after him. And you know what I love about Dale is wherever we are in the world, he knows where the good food is. And he loves to share. And so we were driving to get our heifer in Gonzales uh, to pick out our heifer and we're driving down I-10 West and I said to Melanie, oh, we're almost to Schulenburg. She looked at me like, so? I said, no, Franks. 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 No, Franks. They have pies. You love coconut meringue pie? They have it all the time. We pull in. I get her some pie. we driving down the road. She said, how do you know about Franks? I said, well, Melvin Beard, when we were going deer hunting 18 years ago, showed me, and wherever I am in the world, I know where the food is. And like my friend Dale, I love to share. This is the body of Christ. The Lord has done great things for us. No wonder we're filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us. And so we want to share His goodness with others because we're the glad people. We're the generous people. And why are we glad and generous? Because we serve the God who anoints us with the oil of gladness. Because He is remarkably gracious to His people. And we noticed when we were in Israel in the year 2000 that the Jordan River feeds both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Did you know they're all in a chain? And the Sea of Galilee is filled with life as it was in Jesus' day when they found, when Peter caught fish. In fact, we ate at a restaurant. They served as St. Peter's fish. It was caught in the Sea of Galilee. It was a little creepy because it was looking at me. I mean, it was like they just put the whole fish there with the eyes still there, which was, I had to cover him up to, anyway. It was, but that Sea of Galilee is still full of life. 
But the, the Dead Sea is, is aptly named. I mean, it's, it's a novelty, but you, you, there, you can't eat anything out of it because it's dead. But they're fed by the same river. What's the difference? Well, it turns out that the Sea of Galilee is a conduit of life. Life flows in, life flows out, but the Dead Sea is a cul-de-sac of death. It just receives it, and the water doesn't go anywhere. And churches can be like the Sea of Galilee, life-giving. Or we can be like the Dead Sea. Give me more, more for me. My prayer is we'll be a life-giving church because we serve the life-giving God. And the Scripture teaches us that this meal we receive is a, a proclamation of Christ Jesus until His coming. So it's also an anticipation as we sang, as Joshua read, because of the resurrection, we anticipate resurrection. We anticipate the return of Christ when death will be swallowed up in victory. And so it's good for us to eat together today because meals are better together. Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment to confess anything in your life that's not right? Something you've done? Lord, forgive us for what we've done. Something we should have done but didn't. Father, forgive our sins of omission. Lord, we're not worthy to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. But you have invited us and given us a seat at your table so that we may taste and see that you are inestimably good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.